Welcome to DCS Talks, a podcast production of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. The intention of DCS Talks is to promote dialogue among child welfare professionals, foster parents, and the entire community about ways to prevent child abuse and neglect. Hi everyone, my name is Julie Rotella. I'm the Assistant Commissioner of Administration for DCS. I'm very excited to have with us today Tristan Slough, who is a peer support worker with Monroe Harding, as well as a resident in their independent living program. How are you doing today, Tristan? I'm great. I'm really glad to be here. Really glad to see you again. You know, just got to do this whole thing. Awesome. Yeah, we are so glad to have you here today. So let's just go ahead and launch into some questions for our listeners. I know DCS places a great deal of emphasis on reunification, and everyone agrees this is important. Reunification may not always be for everyone, though. Would you like to share your thoughts regarding reunification, especially for our older youth? Definitely. I think, first of all, I never want to dock reunification. I think that it's good work for many youth within the foster care system and within the child welfare system in general to, you know, work on reestablishing a connection with their family and, you know, overcoming some of the boundaries that might have been in place that kept them from returning to their family and overcoming some of the trauma or, you know, just um, negative experiences related to family in general and creating a healthy environment for those youth to go back to their homes and to, you know, spend the rest of their childhood there and to transition into adulthood within that environment with their family. However, like, we need to, I think, look at this realistically. There's some youth that come from a family background where it's just not the ideal setting for youth. And even if they do make good progress in you know, changing the environment that their family is in and, you know, making progress towards reunification. The reality is sometimes that that work isn't done by the time the youth becomes 18 and to send them home is not always the best option. It's not always what's best for the youth or the family. Some youth spend years in DCS custody and they become adjusted to independence in the sense that they're living a day-to-day basis with their family. And, you know, I can speak personally to that of my time in the child welfare system, I spent a few years without my family. And as I got closer to the age of 18, when I was like 16, 17, I started to realize that, you know, even if I went back home, I was going to be out on my own anyways, whether it be going to college or just becoming an adult or moving out on my own. And I recognized that I loved my family and my family loved me. And we were doing a lot of work to improve our relationships. But the fact of the matter was, it was coming close to the point where I was going to be an adult anyways. I think a lot of youth are in a similar situation that they're close to becoming adults anyways and they need to recognize that and work while in DCS custody to prepare for that because just because you know like just because they might love their family does not always mean that you know that's their next step some people need to start looking at school need to start looking at employment at independent living because some youth the reality is their families as much as we love them, aren't always the best option, aren't always what's going to put that youth on a path to success, like independence might, given the right supports and given the right preparation and planning beforehand. Right. And that's exactly what I was thinking as you were talking. The family and the youth almost come become on these two separate or different paths. And it doesn't mean that those paths can't cross from time to time, but they're, they're really on a different trajectory for their life, right? I know, you you know, you're a strong advocate 
for um, putting this focus, our emphasis on transitioning our youth to adulthood. It sounds like your why maybe comes from your personal experience. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about as far as your why, why this is so important? I think it's definitely important because what I think a lot of people might not realize, I think the idea is more well known within, you know, organizations that work with you. So DCS probably mm -hmm. recognizes a lot, but a lot of people who aren't as experienced might not realize is that these youth, they face a lot of the same things that like regular youth face when it comes to this age, like trying to figure out who they are, trying to figure out how they're going to mm -hmm. succeed in the world, trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet. What are they going to do in a couple of years? How do they act like adults now when they were just kids last week, you know, in some people's eyes. And I think what they realize is that they're, they're facing these problems without the support and without them in a different environment than most youth face them. I think a lot of youth, they have this level of security, this kind of fallback. They know that if things go wrong, they can go back home for a little bit. They can live with their mom or they can live with their parents or their grandparents. And, you know, that's something that they can rely on. A lot of youth don't necessarily have that. And it's not because they don't have their parents in their lives or they don't have their grandmothers or they don't have certain supports. But the fact of the matter is those supports aren't always sufficient. And they know that they can't always count on them for that level of support. That was my own experience. I loved my mom. I had her in my life. She was very involved. But I knew that because of extenuating circumstances within our own lives, I couldn't go back and live with her. So I felt the need to plan for that as I got closer to my 18th birthday, even beyond. I'm still planning for the rest of my life. But I put some things in place. I applied to colleges. Um, I applied to independent living programs, which I was fortunately accepted into one in Nashville at Monroe Harding because I recognized that I was facing a lot of things that a lot of youth face all across the country in all walks of life. I just didn't have the support that most youth had. So I tried to spend my time while in DCS custody, garnering supports in those matters, doing extra preparation, doing extra planning so that I would be, you know, close to prepared because you can't really be prepared for adulthood, you know, try to be as close to prepared as I could be when I turned 18. And I think there was a huge difference in my life because of that. And I can, directly link a lot of the success that I've had as an adult to the work that I did as a teenager, 16, 17 years old. Um, and I think that this would be true of many youth. It seems like a lot of youth, they turn 18, things didn't work out with their families, or maybe closer to their 18th birthday, they chose to go out on their own. But there was no real prep work done. They didn't know what they were going to do. They didn't have a plan. They didn't you know, make preparations, whether it be school or employment, whether it be like finding sufficient housing, whether it be planning for a career, they weren't prepared because no one taught them to be prepared and no one helped them to be this forward thinking. So there's like many barriers in place for youth who don't have that preparation that they're not able to overcome due to the lack of preparation, due to the lack of support, due to the lack of just, you know, forward thinking of wondering what it's going to be like in a couple of years on my own. I think I was better able to overcome a lot of those barriers because of the support that I had, because of the mm -hmm. preparation that I had. And I had support from all sides. My mom recognized that I wasn't going to be coming home as a kid. And she pushed me to prepare for that. She supported me and followed through, told like my team, she told the judge on court dates, like, this is what he's got going on. This is what he wants to be doing. My case manager, he recognized that eventually because their initial work was to go back home to be reunified or go with another family member. And after I talked to him about it enough, he recognized that we needed to shift the focus to 
becoming an adult and succeeding as an adult and setting ourselves up for future success as an adult. And I had support on that end as well. And I think that made a huge difference. I, I believe that I'm capable of great things. I believe that I'm capable of success. But I also believe that that success is uh, contingent upon work being done beforehand. I'm not just going to succeed because I'm smart. I'm not just going to succeed because I can do well. I'm going to succeed because I use those abilities to put plans into motion that allow for more success later on. And I think I'm seeing that now because of the work that I did a few years ago. Yeah, that is great. And it sounds like you had not only some really strong supports in your life and people who are there, and especially your mom and then your relatives who are are always going to be there for you, right? But you had people who really listened to you about what it was that you wanted, what was important to you, what you saw as your future, and then helped you to prep and plan around that. You know, the sad truth is, is that some of our youth just don't have that type of support system or really that maybe the people who are there to support them don't always put that emphasis on that prep and planning or aren't really listening to what their needs are. So let's talk now a little bit about what barriers do you feel exist in the system? There's a large number of barriers. Some are more obvious than others. I think a huge barrier that is very obvious is a financial barrier. A lot of youth while in the foster care system, they aren't always working. They aren't always able to work. It's not like, you know, just sitting around because they're lazy. A lot of times their circumstances bar them from keeping a job for any amount of time. When you're constantly moving to different placements, it's hard to keep a job, you know. It's hard to succeed in school as well. That's another big barrier. So they're not able to succeed in school as well as they might had they had more stability. They're not able to save up money, and that puts them in a worse financial position as an adult. Poor grades or poor academic performance, that is not necessarily reflective of the youth, you know, as far as their intelligence or their work ethic, but is more reflective of the ideal circumstances that the youth is in. That bars them from certain amounts of financial aid or certain opportunities when it comes to the academic world and post-secondary education. So they're limited in that response, limited financially, because they're not always able to save up money to be able to afford some of the steps that might be taken, such as getting their own apartment, such as buying a car, such as paying rent, you know. Then you, when you combine that with the lack of support from people around them in their environments, a lot of people in the foster care system, they either don't have very much contact with their family. And this, is, of course, is not true of all, but uh, not true of all youth in the foster care system. But a lot of times their families aren't able to financially support them in a way that would be sufficient for them to succeed. You know, so if I, if I can't, you know, build up the resources necessary to go out in the world and, you know, be able to work and succeed, and I'm just worried about making ends meet, and I can't depend on others to help alleviate some of that pressure, that really bars the success that I can't have. And if I'm so worried about, you know, getting things paid for, or, you know, paying rent, affording health insurance, affording food, and I don't have necessarily the best academic record, how can I worry about furthering my education and achieving upward social mobility when I'm I'm just worried about getting through today, getting through this month or this week, you know? I think that's a huge barrier, the combination of the lack of opportunities for social mobility and the lack of financial support and financial resources to achieve success. I think there's some barriers that aren't always as obvious. A lot of times people might think like, oh, they're just impulsive or, oh, they just don't know what they want in life. But when you come from any real amount of time in the foster care system, like I touched on earlier, there's lots of instability. There's lots of changes. You have right. new workers, you're in new environments, you're around these new people. That short-term 
placements and the short-term changes, that leads to a change in mindset where you can only really think in the short term. Like, why am I worried about years from now where I don't know I'm going to, where I'm going to be living in the next month or so, you know, I can't worry about what's going on in 2025. Like, I don't know what's going to be happening in July, you know? Um, right. And that attitude doesn't just magically disappear. That mindset doesn't just magically disappear when you turn 18. It, it's the same mindset. You're so caught up in survival mode of what's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. How am I, I going to do this? You can't plan for the future. And it, well, you can, but it's a lot harder to, it's a lot harder to get into that habit of, you know, making decisions for long-term success when you're so used to reacting to short-term change and instability to even be able to think that far in all seriousness. Like, of course, we can fantasize, like, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But if we don't have the knowledge of how to put those steps in place now so we can see that success later, that's it just remains a fantasy. It never becomes reality, I think. And that's a right. really big barrier for a lot of youth in the foster care and child welfare system that it's present everywhere. But I think it's a little bit easier to start planning as a teenager and start making decisions for your future. when You're living with the family when you have that stability, when you have that support of people who know who you are, who know what you're capable of and who are able and willing to put the work in consistently over years, such as a parent, such as a tutor, such as a mentor that a lot of youth outside of the child welfare system have more access to than youth within that system. It doesn't mean they always take advantage of that, of those opportunities, but they have more mm-hmm. access to those opportunities. And there might be youth within the foster care or child welfare system that would definitely take advantage of those opportunities, but they don't have them given their circumstances, you know? Right. And I think, you know, you've touched on a lot of great points that, you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And when you are in that survival mode, you can't see past those present needs. You know, you you have to be able to meet those present needs in order to survive. So being able to see beyond that is very difficult. And if you're in a residential treatment program, you're not going to have access to some of those normal activities where teens typically learn, like you said, in a family setting on how those really those building blocks towards a successful future as an adult. And so it's a very superficial environment and you're not given those opportunities to learn about, you know, even how to drive, how to get a driver's license, much less how to save for a car or how to get a job. And if you, you know, if you're then moving from placement to placement to placement, that's where that instability comes in that you're talking about and you're not really ever able to create that foundation to help you learn some of those skills that you'll need for in the future. Because like you said, it's not just a matter of wanting something, but you really have to know how to be able to access that or how to be able to put into place those steps that are going to bring you closer and closer to your goals. So how do we overcome these barriers? I wish I just had like, you know, like a magical formula (laughs) for like, if you just do this, you succeed. And I, and I think what's important is we have to recognize the reality of the fact like not everybody succeeds in the ways that they would like to. And that's true of youth and foster care and child welfare system. That's true of all people. Like there's often barriers in life that keep us from achieving our dreams that keep us from you know, doing what we would have wanted to. And we don't always know how to overcome them. We just have to work on figuring that out as life goes. And I think like with that in mind, we can start looking at how to overcome some of these barriers in the foster care system, but we also have to keep in mind that no one's ever going to have all the answers. I think one thing that can be done that 
would be very important for youth within the foster care system to start working on is communication, I think, with the people around them and have that be transparent communication on the foster youth or the youth in the system's part, as well as the people on his team. I only really saw a change to, you know, the focus of my time in foster care in the child welfare system and juvenile justice system. I only really saw that focus change from unification to, you know, uh, transitioning to adulthood when I made it clear that that's what I wanted to work on. If I, it's hard sometimes because a lot of times people don't listen to youth. A lot of times, even if they do, it doesn't feel like it and they can't always control things and do what the youth wants. So it's really easy to be discouraged and not want to talk, not want to speak out, but that's the only way you'll start to see success is by speaking out. So it's easy to sometimes sit in meetings and just accept what's going on. But I think one thing that youth need to do is start advocating for themselves and communicate mm-hmm. clearly with the people around them. That doesn't mean you have to go and give this speech about what you want your life to be, but you can say like, this is what I want to work on. This is what I want to do with my life. This is what I want to accomplish in the next few years. After I get my uh, diploma, I want to do this and make that clear and start showing that with your actions. Uh, and as far as the part of DCS and other members of the team, there needs to be clear communication on that route as well. And there right. needs to be listening on that route. You need to hear what this youth is saying and believe them and acknowledge that and let that influence your decision making and let them know how that's working. A lot of times, like I remember I had a case manager while I was in what's called Mountain View YDC. It's a secure placement in Tennessee in the juvenile justice system. And he basically, he let me know the reality of some situations like, hey, this isn't going to work out. We can't focus on this. We need to move forward. And he let me know because he let me know what I want. I let him know what I wanted to work on. And then he let me know what that would look like in my time there. If he just said, you know what, you're right, Tristan, we'll work on this. Or, you know, that's a good idea. Or, you know, just try your best. Keep trying hard. And I'm sure you like, no, that doesn't mean anything. it doesn't help. He has to let me know the reality of the situation. He needs to be transparent. If I'm going to be there another six months, he has to let me know that so that I can take that into account when I'm trying to plan, when I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. And there also needs to be a collaborative effort made on both parts. Mm-hmm. Youth has to do everything they can to succeed. The way their life turns out, it's being influenced by a lot of people that in ways that they can't control. But in the end, the only thing they can control is what they're doing. And it's hard to see that a lot, especially when you're younger, I think. And when you're in the middle of your struggle, it's hard to see that. But I really advocate for youth being able to you know, look back in hindsight and see what has happened, see how their life has went, and try to apply that to the future in the sense that they see what has worked, they see what hasn't worked. Now try to figure out what you can do with that knowledge and start doing things that work for you. Try to figure out, like, you know, you see what has led to success with themselves or the people around them and try to see how to apply those means of success to their own lives and how to work forward. I don't think youth always have figured out what they want to do in their own life. Youth not in the child welfare system don't know what they want to do with their lives. But I think what youth can do is see the people that they admire, see the people mm-hmm. that the success that they um, have experienced or the success that people they know have experienced, see what has been done to achieve that success, and then try to do that. Um, I, a few years ago, I didn't know what I wanted to go to college for, but I knew that I wanted to go to college. I knew that I wanted to help people. I knew that um, the people that I admired, they went to school and they got degrees in social work. They got degrees in psychology. They got degrees in sociology. And they were helping youth and they were helping other people and they're advocating for change. I saw what they did. I talked to them about 
what led to their success. And I didn't necessarily know what my success would look like, but I took those means of achieving success and I try to apply it to my own life when it came to research, when it came to school, when it came to work ethic, when it came to discipline. So you don't have to know what you want to do, but you have to do something if you want to see success, you know? And I think that's applicable to youth. I also think that that's applicable to, you know, case managers. It's applicable to people on the CFTM who are present during CFTMs. They don't always have to know what the youth's future is going to look like while they're in DCS custody or while they're, you know, transitioning into adulthood. But they can do what's in their power to help that youth succeed. They might not know where that youth is going to end up on their 18th birthday. But what they do know is that that youth is working hard to get their diploma before their 18th birthday so they can do whatever they need to to help that youth succeed whether that be advocating for that youth to be accepted into a school program because i know some youth in uh, certain facilities there's options to go to school in facilities or to go to public schools if the public school is a better fit for that youth if the public school is more conducive for that youth to succeed they can advocate for that they can advocate for tutoring for you know there's lots of mm -hmm. things that i think case managers can do and I'm naming some examples. Those examples aren't applicable to everybody. And there's a lot of examples that I haven't even thought of that case managers know what they can do to help their youth succeed. They need to be able to do that. They need to be able to communicate that with the youth and with their higher ups, you know, their supervisors and the people that their supervisors answer to. You, then you really need to advocate for the youth and work and collaborate with the youth to find paths to success for that youth. And they need to know what that youth is looking for to do and help them do it, you know? They don't always have to know what that youth is gonna hold. They just need to help that youth work on something that can help them no matter what their future is, you know? Like whether I'm going into a career of welding or whether I'm going into a career of politics, there's certain things such as getting my high school diploma, maintaining a work ethic, getting employment experience that I can do now that might not directly apply to a specific career path or a specific future, but can help me no matter what future I look to take. Right. And I think, you know, success looks different for everyone. So whether it's being able to be in a successful relationship, whether it's, like you said, getting your high set or your high school diploma, whether it's being admitted into college, going to a trade school or the military, whatever, whatever that may look like, it's just to kind of recap and summarize the points that you made. It's the youth doing some research and really talking to people they respect and identifying what their interests are, right? Then the youth being able to advocate for themselves. But in order to advocate for themselves, really the case manager and the rest of the team have to make a place at the table for the youth, for their voice to be heard and for that team to support them and collaborate with them. And maybe everyone have a different kind of role or assignment on how they're gonna help this youth move forward in identifying their goals and creating a plan to help them begin to achieve those goals. Because it's kind of like, like you said, right now we're just, we're planting the seeds and we may not see kind of the, the fruits of our labor, so to speak, but it's about ensuring that we're doing everything we can to set that youth on a successful path and giving them the tools and the resources and the knowledge and the skills to be able to kind of continue down that path until they do reach those goals. And goals change and shift. I know my goals in life have changed and shifted. Everyone hopefully does as we continue to grow and learn and develop. And so it's just being able to give them, like we said, those building blocks or foundational tools for that success. 
I'm going to kind of take us maybe not completely in a different direction, but a little bit. What is extended foster care, and how do you see this as an important opportunity for our youth? So the extension of foster care is a program implemented, I believe, in most states across the country. I'm familiar with the program within Tennessee for youth aging out of the foster care system. It's an extension of sort of the supports that are uh, given to foster care youth from the ages of 18 to 21. So that can be support in getting school paid for. That can be supported by case managers working with you on a weekly basis or monthly basis. That can be supported in living, like whether it's, you know, get eligibility for an independent living program like I'm in. I'm eligible because of my involvement with an extension of foster care program and they pay for my living here. So they support me in that way. Or whether it be like rental assistance, if you have your own place, the financial help to pay for the rent and just kind of like supporting you in ways that help meet some of your more immediate needs so that they can also work with you on planning ahead and building for the future. I think a lot of people might be turned off to the idea if they have prior experience in the foster care system, but I think that's because they're looking at it through the lens of the foster care system. I'm going to be 100% transparent. Being a foster care, I think most people would agree that it's not an overall pleasant experience. So that kind of turns you off to future contact with the state and future involvement with state programs. But I think people need to recognize that the extension of foster care program is different in the sense that the foster care program is usually used as a reaction to less than ideal circumstances or downright negative circumstances for youth uh, and their families and their living environments. So it's kind of like we're taking youth in who come from bad places and trying to help them get it get better. Whereas with the extension of foster care, it's youth who are looking, who are actively trying to succeed. We're trying to support them in that. It's not necessarily, you know, trying to make the best of a bad situation as a lot of times it is in the foster care system, but it's trying to make a situation better for the future. There's more of a collaborative effort. You know, I think a lot of people are used to being in foster care to having no power, having no control over where they end up or what they're going to do versus extension of foster care. As long as you stay within some fairly loose guidelines, you have the power to make these decisions and be supportive of. And when I'm saying loose guidelines is things like you have to be in school full-time during the fall and spring semester. Some places require you to maintain employment. You have to maintain a certain GPA. So for youth who are coming out of this foster care system, and we were looking to do that stuff anyways, like I was looking to go to school anyways, and I, I, I intended on passing my classes. This can be a huge support. It can help you alleviate some of the pressure and some of the tension you might feel in this adjustment period, offering some level of stability and support so that you feel better equipped and better able to handle this transition and a lot of the things that come up while you're in this period and while you're in this, you know, it's not necessarily as chaotic, I think, as my time in foster care, but it's definitely a lot of change, learning a lot of new things, overcoming a lot of new barriers that I was not 100% prepared for, even though I did try and do a lot of preparation work as a youth, just because no one is prepared for adulthood, no matter how badly or how strongly they try to prepare. So in the midst of this transformation period, I have a support network in place that has helped me to succeed. And like I said earlier, I'm capable of succeeding on my own. The support that they've given me has helped me reach levels that I wouldn't have reached on my own at this point in my life, given the circumstances that I came from, you know?
Right. And no matter how old you are, we all need supports in our life. We all need other people to lift us up and for us to lift them up as well. But you're right. You know, a lot of times when you turn 18, they're like, I'm out of here. I don't want the state involved in my life. And you can see how they feel that way. On the other hand, though, it's like you said, when you're in extended foster care, the parameters aren't as tight. You really have more freedom. You're able to act independently. And if you plan to do these things anyway, like you said, might as well take that assistance and have that just added extra support. And, you know, even when youth turn 18 and they are just are done and over DCS, they can still come back and opt into extended foster care. So it's just so important for them to keep that connection with their case manager, make sure they have those numbers, that contact information. Because like you said, you think life's gonna be one way and then you kind of get out there on your own and you may think, you know what, I really could use this support or this assistance. So we are here, I know DCS doesn't always have this positive image, but we are here to support our youth. We do care about our youth and all of our children. And, and we try the best we can to provide and work with our youth to make the best choices for them. I know it doesn't always feel that way, but we do care and we are here to support. And I know we have to work better at listening and communicating and and giving youth their voice. So, Tristan, do you have any success stories you would like to share? There's a few. It's funny because, like, I'm always, I reached out to get a, a permission from a few people. I heard back from a few I'm always, like, hesitant to share people's business, even when it's good, you know? But, like, I have quite a few people, like, who have entered adulthood that haven't succeeded, and it's really easy to get caught up in that. And I think it's important to focus on the youth who have succeeded. This is a guy I'm really close friends with. His name is Rob. He succeeded in the academic world. He started school, started at Nashville State. He started a little bit before me. He's a little bit older than me. He did good for a few years. And he transferred to UT in Knoxville. And when he got there, I one thing I really admire about Rob is that he's he tried his best there and he did well, but he recognized that he wasn't necessarily prepared for that move yet, because that is a big move, A, to transfer to a four-year university, and B to move out on your own, because he wasn't mm-hmm. an honor harding independent living program like I am. He, you know, he kind of regrouped, took a step back, came back and started to you know, change a few things about the work that he's doing. And he's being really successful now. He was doing school. He took a semester off to get his financial situation straightened out to where he's going to be better prepared to move forward in school. And he, you know, and I think one cool thing about Rob's success is that he succeeded in some ways and he's faced setbacks and he's continued to move forward despite those setbacks. He's had to regroup and change some plans and, you know, take a different approach. But he's continuously successful. He's maintained employment. He's maintained, you know, attendance in school. You know, he tries to succeed despite what he's going through and despite the setbacks he faces, and he's continued success. I know some youth who, before I started working at Monroe Harding, somebody who was like a big inspiration to me, her name was Lorena. She actually was working for Monroe Harding after coming out of, you know, being a resident in Monroe Harding programs, and she succeeded to the point where she got a license in school and I think she's furthering her education. So she's continuing at a four-year university. She was working at Monroe Harding. She's a Jim Casey Young Fellow, which she, that was a big inspiration for me to become a Young Fellow as well. For those who don't know what that is, we're part of a national council 
of youth who have been system involved with the foster care or child welfare system that go on to join the Jim Casey Youth Opportunities Initiative, which is one branch of the Annie Casey Foundation. They do a lot of reform work and a lot of advocacy work for youth and child welfare systems across the nation. And their young fellows work to act as spokespeople and advocates for youth in the child welfare system. So I saw the work being done through her and I talked to her about it for a little bit, but what that was like, and I was inspired to join as well. So she's furthering her education. She's already achieved some level of success. I believe she has a degree, like an associate's degree, and she's moving on to a four-year university and she's maintaining employment and she's working to advocate for youth on a higher level. I think personally, I've achieved some, I've achieved success as well. This spring, I finished up at Nashville State. I've actually just have one more class and then I'll be getting my associate's degree and I'm transferring to Vanderbilt in the fall, which I'm super excited about and super nervous about as well. You know, it's Vanderbilt. But um, I think that success is directly tied to the work that I've done in extension of foster care and the preparation work I've done beforehand because it was it was planned well beforehand that, you know, for undergrad at least, I'm going to be going to Vanderbilt. That was the plan while I was still in DCS custody and I was still in high school because I knew that Vanderbilt is definitely the best school in Tennessee. So that was my initial aim. It, it took a little bit longer than I thought it would to get here, but I got here and now I'm moving forward with this. I'm nowhere near stopping. After I get my undergrad, it's master's, then it's going to be a PhD, you know. So I'm in the middle of my success, as I think we all are. Some of the youth that I've mentioned, there's also different levels of success for other youth. I know youth who came to the Monroe Harding Independent Living Program. And every day it was just, you know, school and work, school and work. They would come home and chill. So they had a single-minded determinedness that I didn't necessarily have. I wasn't always able to stay as focused. I kind of got distracted at times. I'll get caught up in other things. And they succeeded. They achieved their degree after a year or so in maybe closer to two years in TCAT, which is the Tennessee College of Applied Technology in welding. And they've achieved success in that. So he's ready to enter the workforce. And obviously, like, you know, finding an entry-level job, things like that. There's still things that need to be done. There's still a lot of room for more success, but he's achieved the first level of success. His name was Jacob. I remember Jacob because personally, we weren't super close. We disagreed on a lot of things, but I could not deny that he was determined to succeed. And every day he would go to school, he would do what was necessary. He achieved his degree. He finished this chapter in his life and he's moving on to the next, which is building up in his career. I think it's kind of hard sometimes to remember just how much youth are doing and how much they're succeeding in. Um, one of my roommates, he 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 achieved his high school diploma. He got that last year, and that was a big thing because when you're in our position, a high school diploma isn't a given like it is for most youth. Like most youth expect to graduate, and they're worried about college. When you're in our situation, a lot of people they're not looking too far past you know the diploma. So. That was a level of success that I'm definitely proud of him for. A few youth that I've worked with have gotten their high set. That's a level of success that wasn't you know, necessarily planned for a few years ago for these youth. So to see that and to see them succeeding beyond what they necessarily planned for and to know that there's, they still have years to further that success and to take next steps and to achieve you know, higher degrees in education or to achieve further success in their workforces and their careers, I think there's definitely a lot of success stories. I'm always kind of hesitant to, you know, give out information to the, because I don't know um, who all they would want to hear about, hear about them, but I like to uh, share as much as possible while also sharing as little, if that makes sense. So 
These are all real that people. Definitely that does. Like, the success that I can tell you all about, but I don't want to get into too many details. You know. No, I think I think you did a great job capturing that. I'm very impressive stories and successes that you shared. Your your personal one as well is extremely impressive, and I think you know the key through all of it is that perseverance and persistence, right? And that yeah, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be detours, and it's how do you push forward and just so many amazing stories and just so inspirational. And I know you play a huge role in this. And so started out by, you know, telling our listeners that you're a peer support worker. Could you talk to us more about your program and what makes it so important? Definitely. I think like moving into this topic, I think it's important to recognize that while foster youth, a lot of the times are at a distinct disadvantage from a lot of youth their age in a sense that they don't always have the supports present or the opportunities present to youth their age, it's important to recognize that they're not the only ones who need this type of support who are facing these type of barriers and disadvantages. So that's one cool thing about being a support worker with the re-engagement hub at Monroe Harding. Our work is centered around that fact that there's youth of all ages, which we call opportunity youth. There's youth of all backgrounds that aren't necessarily engaged with educational opportunities or employment opportunities who are facing barriers to those opportunities that have limited the amount of success or the amount of work they've been able to put in towards reaching goals in these areas. So we're we're a newly formed program. We started in February before COVID. So our work has kind of been limited. It's kind of, we've had to spend the past few months adjusting. So a big portion of our first few months did not go as planned, but we've learned to adjust and we've been working with these youth who are involved in foster care and who have never spent a day in child welfare program and child welfare system. So this is youth from all backgrounds, from all different experiences, whether or not they've been involved with foster care or not, who are just um, disconnected from employment and education, who face barriers to reaching their goals in those fields. And then we work with them in a multitude of ways. There's something of a case management aspect in the sense that, you know, we help follow through, do intake processes with them to figure out where they are in their lives, to figure out what their needs are, like their most immediate needs versus other needs that are more long-term, that are more forward-thinking. We figure out what they want to do with their lives and how to get there, and then we work with them from there. We connect them with different opportunities within Nashville, such as job fairs, such as employment opportunities and programs, such as like the Oasis Center or the National Career Advancement Center. So we connect them to help them reach their goals no matter what they might be. It's kind of hard to describe exactly what we do just because there's like a myriad of different ways that we work, but it's basically like we act as a starting point for youth who are looking to achieve support and reaching their goals. And then we act as guides as they're navigating these systems within the Nashville area. So whether they're looking for employment or whether we're looking at some of the more immediate needs that need to be met before employment, such as housing, such as food security, you know, we help connect them with different opportunities. So we might connect them with the Oasis Center Rapid Rehousing Program. We might connect them with food banks near where they live. We might connect them with programs that uh, offer rental assistance. We help them, you know, fill out applications. We follow through after interviews, whether that be for jobs or other programs. We call once a week or so to see where they're at and working on their goals. If they're working towards their diploma, we'll connect them with Miss Cheney over in Monroe Harding to help with tutoring. So we act as guides because we're helping them 
make connections and navigate these systems, and we're acting as you know supports because we're following through with them to help keep them on track, kind of, and help you know keep them organized and help organize the work that they're doing. You know, I feel like I'm doing a bad job of explaining. I, it's funny because I feel like my supervisor could take everything no, that I've just started I, to put no, in. Like, I think you. I think mm-hmm. you've created a very clear picture of of your program and. I think it's so crucial, the services you provide, because it can be so difficult to navigate a lot of those systems that you talked about. If our listeners wanted to know more about this program or how to fill out a referral or how to get in contact with you all, where can they go to find that information? Oh, you can definitely go to monroharding.org. We have all of our programs listed there, and the Reengagement Hub is just one of them. We're also in partnership with the Martha O'Brien Reengagement Hub. So you could find them on their website as well. Moving forward, we're going to be having more of a presence on social media as well. So I might have to update that. But, you know, as far as Instagram, Facebook, you can look up YC in Monroe, which is the Youth Connections Monroe Harding branch. And we'll be having our own up soon enough. There's a few different ways. And we're also looking to build community partnerships. So you might just be hearing about us from other organizations that you're involved with, you know, because that's a big part of our work, like I've kind of uh, tried to say is, guiding youth to other programs that can help them work on whatever their goals are. And we can't be guides if we don't know the way, you know. So we're building partnerships with local community organizations like Oasis Center, like, like I said earlier, the Young Women's Christian Academy, a YWCA, 413 Strong. We're going to be reaching out, building connections so that we can start referring youth to these programs and programs such as, you know, like Voca Housing for Monroe Harding. They can start referring their youth to our program. So we're trying to build lines of communication so that referrals can flow both ways with all different areas. It could be Youth Can, it could be Crossroads Pets, which is a local nonprofit. Um, so we're building our communications and uh, networks so you can hear from us soon enough. But you can always look us up online and get information that way as well. Okay, so MonroeHarding.org. And then from there... And uh, social media, and from there, just a lot of different connections and ways to find this information. Tristan, anything else you would like for our listeners to know? I think uh, I recognize a lot of people listening to this are going to be uh, adults involved in the child welfare system, whether it be case managers, whether it be workers of other types, whether it be like CASA advocates or foster parents or whatever it might be. I want to recognize the work that is being done already for these youth, I don't think a lot of people in these programs are just, you know, totally indifferent to these youth or who just don't care actually working against the youth. I just also want to recognize that no matter how much support that they're getting, there's a lot of barriers these youth face that we need to overcome. And I want people to know that we're coming from a place of combating these barriers and achieving success for the youth. We don't ever want to tell anybody that they're not doing a good job or they should be doing better. We just want people to recognize that there's a lot these youth are going to have to overcome to succeed, and we want to share whatever knowledge, whatever information we can, whatever advice we can to help people as they complete these journeys with these youth towards success. I want to encourage everybody. I want to encourage everybody to strive to do better, to listen to what the youth say, to help the youth plan for their future, to help the youth achieve success and whatever success looks like for these youth. And to recognize that they're not going to be the only reason why these youth succeed. It's not, you know, the fate of these youth is not in your hands. 
you know, it's going to be up to the youth to choose to succeed and continue to put the work in. But anything you can do to encourage that youth, to support that youth, to get that youth back on track, to reorganize, you know, the plans for this youth, that will only serve to help the youth succeed in the future once they choose to take their future into their own hands. So I don't want you to think you have to fix these youth or, you know, this is your responsibility to achieve this youth, but you can, there's a lot of power you can have to help support this youth and to help contribute to the success of this youth when they put the work in. So encourage them to put the work in and then listen to them once they're putting that work in so that you can see how you can help them expound upon that work and succeed later in life. That's awesome. It really is about all of us working together and appreciating and respecting one another, right? Thank you, Tristan, for being here today. This was so informative, and I just have a great deal of appreciation for you and gratitude for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. I appreciate that, and thank you for the opportunity. It was really good talking to you.